You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hi, this is Donna Haleson. Welcome to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. With this episode, we launch into a multi-part series entitled Threats to Pets. In future episodes, we'll be speaking with veterinarians in several regions of the country who will instruct us in ways to protect our pets from threats found in and around our homes and in various places we may visit while traveling on the road. From these folks, we'll learn about parasites, external and internal, infectious diseases, insects, wildlife, plants, and poisons that are of particular concern in particular places. We're dividing up the country into the Northeast, the Southeast, the Northwest, the Southwest, and the Central Corridor of the United States. As my husband Gene and I have been traveling around the country with our two old English sheepdogs, Mac and Molly, we have encountered potential perils all along the way. Focusing just on wildlife alone, in Louisiana, we were warned to take care walking near a waterway at a campground because the denizens therein, the alligators, had developed a special appreciation for dog. In Colorado, the concerns of the campground were over bears and mountain lions. In South Dakota, prairie dogs carrying the bubonic plague. In Texas, rattlesnakes. It was in San Antonio, Texas, that veterinarian Ray Dishinger suggested that Mac and Molly receive rattlesnake vaccine. In the event of a bite, she said, the vaccine would slow the spread of the venom, giving us additional time to get Mac and or Molly to a veterinarian. Rattlers were of special concern to Ray, as her own dog died as the result of a snake bite. Ray also treated Mac and Molly when they contracted kennel cough. Our veterinarian in Pennsylvania and we had been very careful to have the dogs vaccinated against this respiratory illness. But we learned, just as there are many different strains of human flu, there are many strains of kennel cough, and you can't vaccinate against them all. Well, getting us started with this series today will be veterinary toxicology consultant Dr. Sharon Gwaltney Brandt, former vice president of the ASPCA's Poison Control Center. In this episode, she'll identify for us some of the common toxins and poisons found in and around our homes and on the road at rest areas, campgrounds, and dog parks. She'll offer suggestions on what to pack for our pets when we take them on the road and what key items should be included in a first aid kit for them. Today we'll also address what we ought to be certain to keep away from our pets in the way of medicines and more, and what we ought to be aware of in the way of environmental hazards. All that and more when we return from these messages. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Buster. You're telling me my dog food products can't go on your shelves? That's right. Didn't pass one of my Petco certified nutrition checklists. Sorry, Wayne. Who made these checklists? Geniuses. Very smart guys. Well, it's good enough for most grocery stores. Do you see cheese puffs on my shelves? Mayonnaise? Soda pop? No. That's because I ain't running no grocery store, Wayne. Your pets will get better nutrition. I guarantee it. Petco. Where healthy pets go. Enter the code LUCKY10. L-U-C-K-Y, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum at Petco.com. I play tennis because I love to. But inside, I want to win. 
take away the court, the net, I might not be a player, but I'll always be a competitor. Lady Foot Locker understands that. Lady Foot Locker, the first to carry Adidas off-court shoes and the gear that goes with them. If you play your best, there's no regret. Lady Foot Locker, one place, every woman. Go to LadyFootLocker.com and enter the code AFMAC1LF to get 10% off any order of $50 or more. Or enter the code AFMOL2LF to get 15% off any order of $75 or more at LadyFootLocker.com. How would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called Info Seeds. Info Seeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. Is the best, most cost-effective way to invite us in. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit the website. PetLifeRadio.com Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of Info Seed. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. Hi everybody, I'm Megan Blake here with my sidekick Super Smiley. The giant nut and spokes dog for throwaways. You're listening to Pet Life Radio and I'd like to tell you about our brand new show, A Super Smiley Adventure. Our show explores adventures with animals. They can be traveling, out in the world trips, or inner journeys where our animals lead us to inspiration and self-discovery. Or just plain fun adventures. Join us here on Pet Life Radio on a super smiley adventure. Good boy. Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back. And grateful to have with us veterinary toxicology consultant, Dr. Sharon Waltney-Brandt, former vice president of the ASPCA's Poison Control Center. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you for inviting me. I'm pleased to be here. Well, we really are just so glad that you're with us, and we do again just thank you for being with us today. This is a really uh, critical critically important topic to be discussing and and perhaps we could just launch right in with a discussion of the common toxins and poisons that are found in and around our homes whether we're in the east or the west or the north or the south is there a top 10 of each of these for cats dogs or perhaps other pets and are there some toxins and poisons that most people might be surprised to discover are toxic and poisonous to their pets as far as top ten is concerned, once upon a time, the top ten, top ten would have been led by the pesticides that we use in and around our house and on our pets to prevent fleas and ticks. However, in the past ten to fifteen years, we've um, uh, developed a lot of much less toxic pesticides, so they've actually kind of bumped bumped down to the bottom of the list. And the top um, poison that is called into a pet pet poison control centers or animal poison control centers is um, prescription medication, whether it's veterinary medication or human medication. So that's the number one. Also high on the list are uh, rodenticides or mouse poisons that people use in and around the house. Toxic plants are up there and toxic foods. Actually, toxic foods are probably number two and especially what gets it up to number two is chocolate because we have a lot of problems with dogs that like to eat chocolate. Um, so uh, 
uh, and then beyond there, we also we have pesticides, cleaning agents that are used in and around the house, pool chemicals, uh, those kinds of things are, are also in the top ten. Could you share a little bit maybe of what maybe fruits or vegetables or candies are particularly toxic to cats and dogs? Sure. Um, well, number one has to be chocolate. It is uh, one of the more common calls that people at animal poison control centers receive. Um, chocolate is most commonly uh, consumed by pets around the holidays, which is when we tend to have a lot of it out there. And chocolate has compounds in it. One people might be familiar with is called caffeine, and the other one is called theobromine, and both of those are stimulants. And certainly everybody's familiar with drinking a cup of coffee and having the jitters from it. Um, well, in the case of dogs and cats, if cats eat enough of it, is that uh, they're much more sensitive to these stimulant effects. And so when we have dogs or potentially cats that eat too much chocolate, then we can have tremors, their hearts can race, we can even see seizures, and dogs and dogs do die from chocolate. Uh, cats are a little different in that they tend not to eat the quantities that, that would cause a severe toxicosis. And other... Um, types of candies, uh, anything with xylitol in it, and that's spelled X-Y-L-I-T-O-L. Xylitol is a non-sugar sweetener. Uh, it's similar to sorbitol and mannitol. It's in a lot of sugar-free products and sugar-free candies and especially sugar-free gums because xylitol is very uh, good for people in that it helps us prevent cavities. And so a lot of dentists recommend chewing sugar-free gums with xylitol in them. However, dogs' bodies don't respond to xylitol like people do. And so what we see is instead of... Um, you know, no problem, the, the xylitol triggers an intense release of insulin from the dog's pancreas, and the insulin drops the blood sugar levels to dangerously low levels. And um, in serious cases, we actually have also seen liver damage from the xylitol. So those are probably the two biggies that people should be aware of because they're things that they commonly have around and are um, particularly toxic. There are certainly other toxic foods, onions and garlic, um, in very small quantities are not going to be a problem. But when we get the dog that gets into the onion soup mix, which is really a large concentration of onion powder, we can definitely see problems with that as well. Now, why is onion, why is the onion or the garlic a, a problem for dogs? The onions have compounds in them, the same sulfury compounds that give onions and garlic their kind of pungent smell. Uh, these compounds are converted in the, in the digestive tract of dogs into compounds that uh, get absorbed into the blood, and those compounds actually cause damage to the red blood cells of the blood, and they can actually cause those red blood cells, which are the cells that carry oxygen to our tissues, they can cause those cells to rupture, and the, the dog or cat can become quite anemic um, after eating the onion or garlic. And again, we won't see it if you have some beef stew and it has a little bit of onion and you give it to the dog. Obviously, we're not going to see that. But again, if we start giving dogs large amounts of, of onion or garlic, and cats actually are a lot more sensitive. Uh, as much as, as uh, half a teaspoon of uh, fried onion has caused anemia in cats. Oh my goodness. What about other sort of table scraps, perhaps, that people might have a tendency to want to share with their pets? Or also curious about uh, fruit. What other problems might we see with, uh, with various fruits? 
Well, we have some problems with, um, as far as fruits are concerned, grapes and raisins um, in dogs, and we think in cats. We just haven't had enough cases to say for sure. Um, what we see with grapes and raisins in dogs and possibly cats is that some animals eating them will de- can develop uh, kidney damage and kidney failure. And unfortunately, we still don't understand enough about why it happens because we certainly know that there are people out there that feed their dogs raisins and feed their dogs grapes and have no trouble. Yet we have, um, at the, or the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center has documented um, hundreds of cases of dogs that have ended up in kidney, da- kidney failure after eating grapes and raisins. So we know it's a true problem. What we don't know is, is there an individual sensitivity so that some dogs are not sensitive to the effects of the grapes and raisins, or is there something on the grapes and raisins or about the grapes and raisins that um, is not always present such that we don't always see uh, the, the problems with the, uh, the kidneys like we, um, we do in some animals. So in general, my recommendation is until we've kind of figured this out, probably a good idea just to keep the grapes and raisins away from the dogs uh, and the cats. Now, alcohol can also be a problem as well as uh, as can unbaked bread dough, I understand. Absolutely. Um, well, just plain alcohol, ethanol, what you and I drink, um, we see the biggest problem of that, especially around Christmas time when people have eggnog out and they bless the eggnog with a little uh, rum or brandy or whatever they use, and the eggnog itself is extremely attractive to dogs and even cats, and they will drink a lot of it, and they are extremely exquisitely sensitive to alcohol. It takes much, much less on a per pound basis to get a dog drunk than it does a human. And so they're very, very sensitive. And um, unfortunately, some dogs do die from alcohol poisoning. Um, as far as the bread dough is concerned, yes, this is the yeast dough, the stuff that you sit out, let sit out and rise, not the stuff with the baking powder in it. And the, the yeast bread dough, the yeast in there, um, they're making the gas that makes the dough rise, but in the same, at the same time, they're also producing ethanol, alcohol, as a byproduct of their metabolism. So what we see is when dogs swallow raw bread dough, yeast bread dough, um, it sits in the stomach, and the stomach is warm and moist, and that's what yeast love. They love warm and moist, so the bread continues to rise. So we have several problems. First, we have this expanding mass of dough in the stomach that can cause uh, difficulty breathing because the stomach will start pressing on the, uh, the diaphragm or the lungs and, and interfere with breathing. Uh, it also stretches the stomach to a dangerous level. In addition, the yeast in there are producing the ethanol and the dog is absorbing the ethanol very quickly, so we end up with basically a drunk dog with a very, very swollen belly and um, that can be a very serious problem when dogs get into this raw yeast dough. Well, also, nuts, I would think, and uh, some fatty table scraps are, can be a concern for, for pets as well, yes? Right. Nuts are high in fat, and certainly many of our table scraps are high in fat. And there are uh, dogs and cats that just don't handle fat very well. Now, I know when I was growing up, our dogs got all the table scraps, including all the fat. Um, Fortunately, we didn't have one of those dogs that that couldn't tolerate that because some dogs, even a small amount of excess fat in their diet can trigger a condition called pancreatitis. 
and pancreatitis is a potentially life-threatening condition. It can go from a single episode to becoming a chronic problem in a particular dog. And um, since we don't know which dogs are and are not going to develop pancreatitis, we do recommend that we be very careful on how much fat the dogs are fed. Um, and as far as nuts, in addition to the fat, there is one type of nut that can actually cause a true toxicosis, and that is those are macadamia nuts. And although they don't cause a fatal uh, syndrome in dogs, it is a very uncomfortable syndrome. Uh, dogs, usually with, it's usually about 24 hours after they've eaten the macadamia nuts, they'll develop a muscle weakness, they'll have a be running a low-grade fever, they'll feel absolutely miserable, and if they're severely enough affected, they'll be unable to get up. Um, the good news is that, um, to my knowledge, we haven't had any fatalities with this condition, but that animals are miserable for several days unless you get them into the veterinarian who can help with uh, decontaminating the, the patient, giving some medication to make them feel a little bit better as they get the, the macadamia nuts out of their system. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to 1-800-PetMeds.com forward slash road R-O-A-D to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. Whether they're big, small, hairy, or whatever, you're going to need gear for your feet. And Kids Foot Locker's got all the great shoes and gear that'll get you in the game. Go to kidsfootlocker.com and enter the code AFMAC1KF to get 10% off any order of $50 or more. Or enter the code AFMOL2KF to get 15% off any order of $75 or more at kidsfootlocker.com. And cover those funky feet. FTD's network of over 40,000 florists around the world have been creating beautiful handcrafted arrangements for 100 years. Each arrangement is delivered the same day and backed by FTD's seven-day satisfaction guarantee. For a century, people have trusted their most important occasions to the flower experts at FTD. Since Pet Life Radio is all about puppy dogs and flowers, our listeners, that's you, can get a 20% discount on your order. Just go to florop.com and use the code LUCKYS20 at checkout. F-L-E-U-R-O-P.com. Code word L-U-C-K-Y-S and the number 20. Pets can be a wonderful addition to your life because they're a member of the family. Keeping them healthy and happy is important. Pet Life Radio presents The Pet Doctor with veterinary media consultant and veterinarian Dr. Bernadine Cruz. Whether you have a dog, cat, reptile, or rabbit, you'll find answers for your pets straight from the vets. The Pet Doctor, on demand every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com.
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back and grateful to have with us veterinary toxicology consultant, Dr. Sharon Waltney-Brandt. What else might we have lying about our homes, no matter where we find ourselves in the country, that could be of concern as far as a toxin or a poison for our pets? Well, as I said, the number one, um, the number one thing that pets get into these days are our prescription drugs or our non-prescription drugs or even many of our over-the-counter drugs like aspirin and Tylenol are very dangerous to dogs and cats. So we certainly want to be careful how we store our medications in the house. If you're on a medication, especially a medication for a heart condition or um, some type of psychological condition, many of those drugs are very, very potent and can cause serious problems when they, if ingested by a pet, you might want to consider taking those, say, in the bathroom with the door closed. So if you accidentally drop a tablet, it's not a race between you and the dog as to who gets it first. Because if the dog gets that heart medication first, then that very well may end up a trip into the vet or the emergency clinic to try and um, prevent serious heart problems. Uh, and, and so pharmaceuticals are, are number one. Our, the pesticides we use, I talked about what we use in and around our house these days is, are much less toxic than they used to be, but that doesn't mean they're 100% safe. Uh, I hate that word safe. I, I consider it a four-letter word because there are very few things that are totally safe. Even water can be toxic if ingested in too much, too much quantity. Um, but um, the pesticides we use around the house, we should read the labels Follow the label directions. If it says keep your animals away from the area for a certain amount of time, follow those directions. And that way we're going to prevent any problems with the pesticides. Um, another thing many people have around their house are cigarettes. And the nicotine in cigarettes are very, very dangerous for pets. Um, a pack of cigarettes can cause a very severe life-threatening problem for even a, even a fairly large dog if they grab the package, chew it up, and swallow it. Um, and then we have our, our plants, uh, either indoor plants or outdoor plants. And of uh, the indoor plants, the big ones for cats are lilies. Uh, these would be your Easter lilies, your stargazer lilies, your tiger lilies, um, and also the day lilies that grow outside. These are true lilies, and in cats, it's kind of like the grape thing with dogs. It's, it's a species thing, um, and... So the dogs eating lilies, we don't expect to see kidney problems, but certainly cats, even small exposures, a few chomps on a leaf um, have been enough to cause severe kidney failure in cats. And every year around Easter time at the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center, um, they, we, they get dozens and dozens of calls of, of cats that have chewed on lilies and, and, and either developed kidney failure or many times if we can get them into the veterinarian soon after they've been exposed, then we can get them treated and oftentimes can prevent the kidney failure from developing. Um, that's a very serious condition. And another one I'd really like to make um, note of for folks is, is this, the 
sago palm, which was a big old palm tree that grows down in the southern part of the country, down in Texas and Mississippi. And the folks down there, the owners, pet owners and veterinarians are generally very familiar with the sago palm and they know how toxic it is. Um, however, recently, uh, in the past five years, they've developed these little bonsai-sized sago palms. And you'll find them at the home improvement stores. And they're very cute little little palm-like trees and they look very innocuous. And um, but they are extremely toxic. They can cause serious liver damage and death if dogs are to, or cats were to chew on, on them. And now that people are bringing them into their homes, we're seeing we're seeing poisonings in the northern part of the state, country. We're seeing poisonings all around the country. And the the problem is is the pet owners are unaware that they're toxic. And the veterinarians, because these are not plants they're used to seeing in their their environment, they may have heard about sago palm a long time ago in vet school, but um, since they never have, they rarely see a case. They they're not. They may not be aware of just how toxic that particular plant is. So that's that's a big one. Um, you know, they look very very cute, but they are very very dangerous. I would think that just as with human children, we also have to be careful with our pets to make certain that we don't leave small toys about the house is that something perhaps or you know i think about the little silica gel packs that come in uh, some of the electronics perhaps that we purchase are there other of those kind of little things maybe jewelry or or whatever that you'd want to cite as well as something that we want to watch out for well, yeah, there are a couple things. The silica gel package you mentioned, the good news about it is the silica gel is not toxic. It is, uh, silica is essentially sand. Um, but if the dog were to swallow a packet whole, um, c- depending on the size of the dog, that packet may get stuck somewhere in their digestive tract and require surgery to, um, to get it out so that the animal can eat and, and, you know, have its digestive tract work properly. And so, yes, many toys and things do pose hazards as, um, uh, what we call foreign bodies in the digestive tract. Additionally, uh, some toys, and, and again, you know, you, you probably have seen these occasional things on the news where the FDA, uh, FDA comes out with there's been lead found in this toy or that toy from, you know, this foreign country or that foreign country. And certainly we do see that when dogs or cats swallow pieces of toy that do have lead in them, um, and we'll see lead poisoning in those animals as well. So um, so there are a couple of couple of problems with, with them chewing on and swallowing small items. And very rarely it, it doesn't happen very often fortunately. Rarely they might inhale those small objects, get them down into their uh, into their respiratory tract and have difficulty breathing then from that. But more commonly they're gonna swallow it, it's gonna get part way through the digestive tract, it's gonna get stuck and then it's gonna require surgery for removal. Okay, why don't we kind of step outside of the house then and begin to consider some of the potential hazards that are out in our lawns, maybe with fertilizers or herbicides and what else we might discover out there. In the garage, I was speaking with someone the other day whose dog had lapped up some antifreeze and that brought the end of the dog. Are there some of the ones that are some hazards that are right outside our steps, right outside our doors that uh, that we'd want to discuss as well. 
Well, certainly there are certainly outdoor plants, and there are also things we use around the house and the yard. Uh, again, very similar to the insecticides we use on our pets, mo- many of the yard chemicals we use these days are much less toxic than they used to be. But again, if they're ingested while they're still wet, uh, they can cause some digestive upset, so we could see vomiting and diarrhea. Um, if And there certainly are... Uh, uh, other things in the area. Um, fertilizers usually aren't an issue. Their fertilizers tend to be salts of nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. So if you eat a lot of salt without anything else, it's going to make, give you a stomach ache, make you throw up, maybe get your um, you know hydration out of whack. But uh, fortunately, fertilizers aren't terribly toxic. Now during the winter times, we get these uh, you know we get snow melts and things, and those can vary depending on the chemical chemical content. Some are very not low toxicity and some are more toxic and tends to be the things we use around the house. You want to stick with the ones that say, you know, pet safe or whatever uh, as far as the snow melts are concerned. Um, certainly antifreeze is a big problem um, because it is so toxic. Cats are very uh, more susceptible than dogs, but even dogs will uh, can lap the antifreeze. Uh, you know, puddles of antifreeze when people are changing their their radiator fluid or adding to it on the driveway can pose a hazard um, to dogs and cats. And the, the antifreeze does cause kidney damage. And the problem with kidney damage in dogs and cats is we don't do kidney transplants very often. We don't do them in dogs um, much at all, and we. They can be done in cats a little more readily than in dogs, but even there, they're very rare and they're very, very expensive. Um, So, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of options if we wipe the kidneys out with antifreeze. So the best way to go with that, number one, there is a much less toxic antifreeze. The antifreeze most of us are familiar with is called, uh, the active ingredient is ethylene glycol. And there's now, there are now on the market several different brands of propylene glycol-based antifreeze. And propylene glycol is much, much less toxic. It's not going to cause kidney damage. Now, if they drink a lot of it, they're going to kind of get drunk, sort of like they drank a lot of alcohol, and that can be a problem. But they're, they're unlikely, they're, they're definitely not going to get the kidney issues that we see with the ethylene glycol, and they're unlikely to drink enough to actually cause a fatality. So uh, the first thing you could do around your home is switch from an ethylene glycol-based antifreeze to a propylene glycol-based one. And that, and that and you can get rid of your ethylene glycol-based antifreeze so that you're keeping your house a little safer for your pets. Now, and what, as far as rest areas, campgrounds, dog parks, what might we find, what kind of maybe unexpected, particularly unexpected environmental hazards might we come across in those places? Well, certainly we have all the things we've already talked about as far as plants and and that kind of thing. But people come there, they relax, they take, they chill out, they take some time out, they might eat some food. So around picnic tables, there may be scraps of food or bones that you don't want your pet picking up and ingesting. Um, I had a very bad experience on the road several years ago with my border terrier who I saw him pick something up off the ground and before I could get to him he'd swallowed it. I didn't think twice about it until a couple hours later and we realized he was intoxicated and we determined that he had picked up some marijuana off the ground and I had a stoned little doggy on my hands and uh, the good news is he did fine. The bad news is people at work never let me live that one down because I was supposedly on vacation but um, just to let you know it can happen to any of us they, they can pick something up so quickly. Um, so in these rest areas, people are dropping things. They might drop a, an undrunk 
can of beer that might pool there, and the dog might drink the beer out of a puddle. There could be leaks of antifreeze in the in the um, from the cars onto the pavement, so the animal we could have some exposures there. Uh, people might throw away um, pretty much anything in the trash. Um, one big problem, I, I guess, I did fail to mention as far as yards, and we definitely see this on the road: moldy products, molds. Um, grow on things like foods that have been left out or um, walnuts that fall on the ground and, and get kind of moldy. And those molds can produce toxins that can cause some pretty serious problems as well. So when we're at these rest areas and campgrounds, we want to keep a pretty close eye on where the dogs are. Maybe if you're going to a campground before you let the dogs out, you kind of want to scout around and just glance at the ground and see is, is there a lot of litter down there or are there a lot of things on the ground that they really shouldn't get into and maybe... Uh, get rid of that before you let the animals have much of a run uh, down in the area you're going to be in to try and prevent that kind of exposure so you don't have a little stone border terrier like I had. (laughs) Well, I wonder what you might say to those pet parents out there who have dogs perhaps who like to chew on cow patties or feces or whatever that uh, from other animals that they might uh, encounter in some of these places. I've noticed that Mac and Molly seem to really (laughs) enjoy these cow patties and it's not too pleasant thinking about a kiss coming right after that. So, but I wonder about the toxicity of, uh, of these as well. Well, um, from from the standpoint of toxicity, the only risk we would have is if the animals had been recently treated with certain medications that might be passing out into the manure. Um, certainly, if they were recently given a dewormer, uh, some of the large animal dewormers are quite potent. Many of them don't really get absorbed because they're trying to kill parasites that live in the intestines, so they really stay in there in the intestines and then they come out in the manure. And um, then, depending on how much the dogs eat, they could potentially eat a dose of of pesticide that that really wasn't designed for dogs. And also, you know, again, when you're talking a 1,300-pound cow versus a 40-, 50-pound dog, there's quite a big difference there as well. So certainly medications those animals might have been on. Now, you know, we call the horse manure road apples and and the dogs just love it and and I try not to let my dogs get into it more so than the uh, ick factor more so than from toxicity standpoint but certainly the potential for toxicosis is there if the animals have recently been treated. You know as far as parasites and stuff some people say oh they get parasites well the types of parasites that cattle and horses get are not going to be uh, happy living in a dog or cat. So that we're, that's really probably not an issue. I would say it's the ick factor is probably the biggest with a small risk of perhaps the toxicosis from any medication that that large animal might have been on. What should we have with us in our homes and as we're traveling that would help us address a concern with something that they will have picked up that could be toxic to them or, or poisonous? Well, um, first thing they can do, probably if you're on the road, you should think of, you have a, probably a first aid kit for people. You should also put together a first aid kit for your pet, which would include things like bandages and, and um, items to try and take care of the pet if, if uh, an accident were to occur. From the standpoint of what they might pick up, then we want to think of a few additional things to throw in that emergency kit. And the first thing would be a bottle of fresh 3% hydrogen peroxide, the stuff in the brown bottle you put on cuts. 
um, because what we know in dogs is that they will pick up anything and eat anything, and oftentimes if we get to them quickly enough, we can oftentimes make them throw up and get that material out and hopefully prevent a serious problem. And hydrogen peroxide, the 3% stuff that you and I use to put on cuts, is the safest thing that um, a pet owner can have to try and induce vomiting in their pet. Okay, so, um, yeah, but we don't want to overdo it on the hydrogen peroxide. We should never give more than a tablespoon per 15 pounds, and we should never give more than a maximum of three tablespoons. So my big 125-pound Newfoundland dog would still only receive 45, um, uh, would only receive three tablespoons. And um, if they're not throwing up from that three tablespoons, and they're not going to throw up for you anyway, and at that point they probably need to go into a vet. Um, we do not want to use syrup of Ipecac. It's, I don't think it's available over the counter anymore, but syrup of Ipecac has a tremendously long delay in, in, in making animals throw up, uh, usually 40 to 50 minutes. And if you're talking about one tablet of medication, in 40 to 50 minutes that tablet's going to be long gone. Also, it's, it only works about 20 to 30% of the time in dogs and cats. And if they don't throw up the Ipecac, the Ipecac can actually be absorbed and cause heart problems. So um, we definitely don't want to be using Ipecac. So if, if they think they need to make the pet throw up, peroxide's the safest. You might want to, in order to give the animal the peroxide, you might want to consider having something like a bulb syringe or a turkey baster to, to put to draw it up in and squirt it. You know, if you have if you have a a large dog and you have to give three tablespoons of peroxide and you, all you've got is a little three cc syringe to squirt it in the mouth, you're going to be doing that's a lot of squirting in the mouth to get that 45 milliliters in there. It's 15 doses, so it's all best maybe to put it in a turkey baster and 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 squirt it in their mouth. You also want to have some saline eye solution, just saline like you use for your contact lenses. Um, in case they get something in their eye, you can use that saline to rinse their eye out. And um, you also might want to put a little bitty bottle of uh, liquid dishwashing detergent in there in case they get something on their coat that you want to wash off. Just, you know, a little Dawn Palmolive Joy, whatever you happen to have, and just keep that in there as well. Um, and you also, anytime in your kit should include a muzzle because anytime your pet gets into something um, that they shouldn't and we have to do some things and some they're not happy with, some pets are going to be not be too happy with that. So we might want to consider muzzling them so everybody's happier and no one gets hurt. I always like to say the muzzle, you know, they don't know whether or not they should bite because they're in pain, but the muzzle takes that decision away from them and it really does seem to calm many of them down. Um, and then you also might want to consider uh, a can of uh, wet food uh, or canned food, just a little bitty can of that. When we go to induce vomiting in, um, in pets, we find that it works better if they have some food in their stomach. Um, they have a better chance of, of vomiting up what we want them to. So we'll often, before we recommend giving the, the peroxide, is have them feed a couple tablespoons of that food and let the pet snarf that down and then give them the peroxide. And very often that gets us a better result um, when we try and make them throw up whatever it is they ate that they shouldn't have. Are there some signs that we would look for to determine whether or not the dog had taken or the cat or the pocket pet or whatever had taken in a toxin or a poison? What indicators would we see? 
Well, unfortunately, there's not one that's, that you can just point to and say, aha, it must be poison, um, because the, the signs are going to be similar to other uh, conditions. But certainly, a sudden change in attitude, either becoming suddenly lethargic or suddenly agi- agitated, um, that certainly is uh, an, can give you an idea that something might be going on. Many of the, especially pharmaceuticals we have nowadays are things like antidepressants, and if a pet was to get into one of those, then they become very lethargic. What I noticed with my little border terrier when he got in the marijuana was that um, he, was, um, he was walking a little unsteadily, and I looked at him, and it was obvious he was kind of spaced out. and um, um, So it took a, a while for me to realize that you know, he, he well, it t- didn't take me long to figure out something was wrong with him, but it took a while to figure out what it what it was. I just put together all the signs that that he had developed over a period of a couple hours and realized that it was probably what it was. Um, but certainly, any sudden change in attitude, either going from you know normal to suddenly profoundly lethargic, or going from normal to very very agitated and hyper, can't sit still, restless. More so than just a happy animal, this is an animal that's restless and kind of anxious. Uh, that might indicate they got into something that's affecting their their nervous system or their heart system. Um, and uh, other things, certainly vomiting, but unfortunately in dogs and cats, vomiting can be, occur for a variety of reasons that don't have anything to do with poisoning. But a sudden, sudden occurrence of vomiting, uh, if that you know, if you do see that, you might want to, uh, again, just kind of keep in mind that did they get into something uh, as unpleasant as it sounds, you want to look through what they threw up to see if there's anything in there that you recognize as something that they shouldn't have gotten or if there's something in there that you don't recognize at all, realizing that you hadn't given them anything that looked anything like it. And again, as gross as it sounds, um, one of the things you might want to do in those situations is get a plastic bag and save that uh, material so that if you do end up having to take them into a veterinarian, the veterinarian can look through that and see if there's anything in there that might give them a clue as to what they got into. Um, So those are some things you can look for. So when do we call the veterinarian? When do we race to the veterinarian? When do we call poison control? Okay, so um, when I would suggest calling, uh, if if we're talking on the road, Probably I would try and call the poison control first, and they can help you decide whether it's something to be concerned about or whether it's something that you you can deal with on your own or is not going to be a problem, rather than racing the pet into a, a... an emergency clinic or something. The other problem with being on the road is oftentimes you don't know where those places are and oftentimes the folks at the poison control center can help direct you to the closest emergency center. So um, uh, if you're on the road, if you're at home uh, and it's during office hours, you can certainly feel free to call your veterinarian. Now they might turn around and say, well, I really don't know if this is poisonous. You need to talk to um, animal poison control. When do we need to race to the veterinarian? Well, obviously, if we see an animal showing very severe signs um, or if the animal is profoundly lethargic or profoundly agitated and the condition has changed in a very short period of time because what that means is over the next period of time, it could it could continue to deteriorate. Uh, so we need to get them in there. If we see anything like bleeding or they can't get up um, or they seem to be in a lot of discomfort, they need to go into a veterinarian. Um, Again, if they if you just caught them eating something, you you might have time to call your veterinarian or poison control and find out if it's something that 
you can do something at home about or if it's something that needs to go in. Now, are there poison control centers around the country? Is there a central line that you would recommend people call? There, There is for people, but not for animals. There are only two animal poison control centers in the country. Um, one... Um, was the one with the ASPCA, which is the oldest. It was the first one established. It's been around over 30 years, and um, it's staffed 24 hours a day by uh, veterinary professionals, veterinary toxicologists, and, and technicians. And um, then there's another one in Minneapolis called Pet Poison Helpline, and it has been around um, five or seven years now. And um, uh, those, those are the two places you want to call. You can try calling your human poison control center. However, um, because of the funding situations, many times they're not allowed to give information about animals. They, they, don't, they don't have the funds to tie up the lines with animal uh, emergencies. Um, many of the human poison control centers are actually being either uh, reduced in size or closed down because of funding issues. They're having serious problems getting funding, so they're becoming less and less available to pet owners. The other issue that I have with uh, human poison control centers who do a wonderful job in managing human poisonings is that they're not veterinarians, and dogs and cats are not small people. And unfortunately, what might not be a problem for a small child is definitely a pro- might definitely be a problem for a dog or cat. For instance, children who swallow pennies, um, they don't really get too concerned about um, people's, uh, children swallowing pennies. But in, if a dog or cat swallows a penny, we know there's a serious risk of zinc toxicosis developing in those, those animals. Why? People are vertical. The penny will exit the stomach very quickly in a child and pass on out in the stool. Dogs and cats are horizontal, and those pennies get hung up in the stomach, and they tend to stay there. And at that point, the 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 stomach acids work on the penny and allow the um, zinc that's in the penny, because most of our pennies are just copper-coated. U.S. pennies are copper-coated with a zinc core, and they corrode through that copper, gets to the zinc, and the zinc gets absorbed, and that causes serious problems. But many folks at human poison control centers don't know that, so they, they get a call, the dog swallowed a penny, they say, oh, not a problem. You know, two or three days later, after the dog has absorbed enough zinc, we have a dog that's dangerously ill. So um, that's another reason we... we really would rather people call animal poison control centers. Now, the ASPCA's poison control center number is 888-426-4435. And the number for the pet poison helpline is 800-213-6680. I wonder, Sharon, if you would want to just close out our time together by offering any final warnings or suggestions or ideas or thoughts that you think it would be uh, important to end our time. Sure. You know, we talked about pesticides and things we use around the house being less toxic than they used to be, but even less toxic things can be a problem if they're not used properly. And one of the biggest issues we get into um, from a poison control standpoint is the fact that problems develop when people do not read and follow labeled instructions. Uh, we have, uh, every year we have hundreds of cats who die and thousands of others who develop serious illness because a product that was designed for use exclusively on dogs was used on cats. 
And the reason the product was designed for use exclusively on dogs is that it was recognized that cats cannot tolerate the compounds that are in that product and that they would be hazardous to the cat. And so um, by ignoring the label directions and applying the product to the cat, we can end up with some serious problems. Uh, so if the product is labeled for use in dogs only and says do not use on cats, definitely want to follow that. When you're putting products out in the yard like herbicides and fertilizers, read the instructions and follow the label directions on how long you should keep your pets off the lawn. Usually it's, at, it's just until, if it's a, a wet product, until the product has had a chance to dry um, or several hours out if it's a, a granular type product. Just enough time to let those granules work their way down closer to the soil and you'll have a lot less trouble. One other thing you might want to do is keep an inventory of what plants you have in and around your house and go online and find out if any of those plants are, are potentially problematic. I know the ASPCA on their website has a very nice list of toxic and non-toxic plants you can uh, look at and try and determine which ones in your yard are ones you want to keep your pencil with. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for sharing such critically important information with us. You're welcome. In our next episode, we'll begin focusing on concerns specific to regions of the United States. Well, and that's it for this episode. I do hope that you will join us next time as we head out on the road with Mac and Molly. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.